Hello and welcome to Check One Two, and where we give you the lowdown on testicular cancer by talking to survivors, advocates, and supporters of testicular cancer awareness here at the world famous podcast studio Glasgow. Today's guest is Af Marche, who is the author of the book Tumorous Hesticles, uh, Just Say Cancer. Af's story is really inspiring, you know, from being on the beaches uh, in Copacabana to discovering that he had testicular cancer while out in Brazil and then coming back to England to, to get that operation in chemotherapy. The book delivers um, on everything from humour, um, emotion and gives some poignant advice um, to not just those who are going through treatment but also those who um, are surrounding that person and those support networks. So it's a, a great conversation. So ladies and gentlemen, Ahmarsi. Is that live? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's <is> rolling. <laughs> and then we'll just, it's just that this is it. And then you know we'll, we'll yeah. be talking away, man. Yeah. So it just makes that kind of an easier start. Than, yeah. You know, going hey, hello. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Big intro at the top. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But thanks very much for coming on, Af. Yeah. Honestly, nice to meet you in person. Yeah. Um, so this is check one two, um, and. If you're able to just kind of give us a little bit of background in yourself and your cancer journey. Yeah, yeah. So, um, name's Af Marseille. Um, got diagnosed in 2016 in Brazil. I was working at the Rio 2016 Olympics. Um, had a back pain. Went to the Athletes Village um, Medi Clinic. And um, yeah, got finally after about three weeks over in Brazil. Um, they told me it was a tumour. So I was about to fly to Argentina the next day to start like travelling. And um, yeah, I had to fly home back to the UK instead and, and sort of surprise my mum with, hey, I'm back and I've got a tumour. And um, yeah, surgery four days from landing. And um, yeah, so one week I was on Copacabana Beach and next week I was having a ball removed and then started chemotherapy. I did nine weeks, um, three cycles of BEP. It was similar to yourself, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I had BEP as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, lose the hair, gain weight, you know, the full shebang, um, and then yeah, got the all clear, all clear in December 2016 and remission, and and five years, um, seven years down the line now. So started talking about it now, and um, yeah, raising more awareness and stuff like that. Yeah, and um, you've obviously you've written a book um, as well. Tumorous testicles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or tum- uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Tumorous testicles. Tumorous testicles. Yeah. Just say cancer. Yeah, it's it's a great book. You know, um, I thoroughly enjoyed like reading it. Um, yeah. I think the way that you've kind of see if I had read this book when I was first diagnosed, it would have felt like almost like a future self talking to myself. You know, it was great. Like, I think you're. Your conversational narrative that you run through it it's like yeah. it's like it's almost like we were pen pals <laughs> you know yeah. in the sense that it, it, kind of how you're writing things out um and i i thoroughly enjoyed you know the humor that you put in it as well i yeah. think it's as we've talked about in this podcast a few times you know the guys that we've had on it seems to be the way mm. to kind of help deal with that um so what was your motivation behind writing the book and, and was that humour something that you used throughout your, your cancer journey? Yeah, um, yeah, the humour, 
it was, um, you know, sometimes it's appropriate and inappropriate, isn't it? Mm. And we've got mates who like the inappropriate jokes and dark jokes, and they are quite funny. And um, when you're going through a cancer diagnosis, it, it can be draining when you're constantly um, having to put on those sort of sympathetic voices and, and, and head tilts and like, oh, is everything okay? And sometimes you just want a mate to be honest with you and, and be blunt and say jokes and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I definitely used humour privately with my friends. It didn't work with everybody. You couldn't just be like joking around about having cancer and stuff because some people actually got emotional about it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So you would have to choose wisely where you um, share your humour yeah. and the level that you could. Um, but... After, let's say, so after after the, the all clear, um, I was done with cancer, to be honest. So I stopped talking about it. Didn't want it to define me. Right, I've done that challenge now, move on. And I think I got a one-way flight to Cuba and traveled Cuba and Mexico and things like that. I was like, I'm going to get back the months that it's taken away from me and, and explore. Then the second year of remission, I thought... Um, Okay, maybe I do need to do the bit bit more than normal life, and maybe save for a mortgage and, a, and put and put away for a pension and and stuff like that. Um, and wasn't really invested in cancer again. And then in the third year, I had a lot of people contacting me saying, "My friend's just been diagnosed. My brother's been diagnosed. Can you speak to them and, and such?" So I get on the phone and we'd have a conversation and everything. And and then eventually I started writing letters to people newly diagnosed as well. So. Someone would say, you know, my husband's just diagnosed and I'll write him a letter um, and say, this is what's going to happen uh, and everything. And then after writing a few letters, I thought, oh, I could probably just make this a bit more generic and write it, <laughs> write it in a book. And then I'll send him the book. Um, and yeah, I wanted the humour to be in there. There are other serious parts in there as well. Um, but I read again some of the serious chapters last year, last year, last night, and I actually thought, there are still some funny quips in, in amongst all the serious parts to get you through it. Um, so, yeah, definitely the, the humorous take was, was the one I wanted to go down. Yeah. Uh, but even within those kind of more serious aspects of it, I, I found that personally as well. It was like the more serious things got, the more I wanted to make a joke or to, <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. I think uh, that, that was always the problem with me. I think, you know, yeah. like uh, we kind of going through it like that. Yeah, I mean, there's this, there's a chapter in there, the hair today chapter, where um, you know my hair starts falling out, and that's a weird time because you, at first you think, oh, it's just hair, you know, sort of get, I'm going to get over it. It's just hair. I've had a skinhead before, you know. We're going to we're going to do this. It's fine, especially for a man. I think it's much yeah. much more difficult, um, different journey for a, for a woman losing the hair. And um, my friend came over and shaved my. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he's using the clippers that he's used on his uh, genitals the night before. <laughs> and uh, and it just, and, and, you know, he shaved a stupid sign in the back of my hair. And again, it was inappropriate and, and stupid, but it took away all that seriousness of, oh my God, I've, I'm going to properly lose my hair. Now, there is that part of the chapter as well where you do look at yourself in the first time when you're completely bold and you're like, oh my God, yeah. this is bad. I'm a victim. Mm -hmm. And you literally think, oh God, what's everyone going to react like? Yeah. And then you sort of um, accept it and, and sit with the thoughts for a little bit and you think, you know, all right, it's going to grow back one day. It takes a lot longer than you actually think as well. Did, you lost your hair, did you? Yeah, I did, yeah. 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 And I was, I was similar, <laughs> like, um, but um, my wee boy was four. Right. Um, so I knew my hair was going to fall out, but it wasn't falling out yet, but I thought, 
bugger it, let's get him used to me having no hair. So like we got the clippers out and he shaved my head, you yeah. know? So it was like a fun experience, you <laughs> yeah. know, like you're like this four year old shaving just random bits off your hair. Yeah. Um, but it was at that point, you know, when my hair was falling out because of the chemo, I thought oh, it was just short enough. I thought I'll take this off with a razor and I pulled it and rather <laughs> than cutting, it just all came away yeah. like you were wiping. Yeah. And it was at that point I was kind of similar to yourself. I went, oh, this is actually something I've yeah. got cancer. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that was at the same kind of point. Yeah. I mean, and then again, like the inappropriate joke stuff, um, you know, it was it was how are people going to react to you? So, you know, my granddaddy got quite emotional, which was really emotional for me um, because the, uh, uh, until your hair falls out, you know, it's just a new scar and it's some emotional stuff going on. But when you actually look like it, there's no escaping it and no escaping how other people are going to react. Mm -hmm. And that is what the whole premise of the book is about. It's not just the person going through the, 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 the treatment. It's everybody around them. And, and in there, I've like described my mum and her journey and my dad and his reactions and how he sat in denial and stuff like that. And then my, uh, my friend Rich, who spent a lot of time with, and he just totally ignored the fact, you know, he wanted my his old friend back. You'll still laugh. You don't have cancer. But then the hair bit is the defining bit where we went to the cinema and I removed my cap for the first time. And he's like, He's like, take a double take at me. He's like, wow, you've actually got it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah I've, I've actually had it for about nine weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you've missed out, mate. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, yeah, he's sitting on another couch because he doesn't want to catch it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so stupid. Um, but but definitely needed at time because, yeah, the, the emotional stuff around you is is sometimes the hard stuff to take when... You need to put on a brave face for other people and, and you're sort of lifting up the team around you, your support network. Um, mm. So, so yeah, that's that's how the book goes, is, is trying to describe all the people around you as well because <clears throat> I don't know about you, but if I was going through cancer when I was, you know, the last thing I want to read about is a book about cancer. But this book would have been perfect for my mum, my dad, my sister, the yeah. people sitting on the sidelines that when you're asleep in a chemo chair or, or a bed and they have no clue what's going on but they want to be there for you that they would be reading this book on the sidelines and thinking okay this is maybe that's how i'm reacting mm -hmm. you know my dad said some um possibly silly things during my treatment like he said this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me <laughs> i'm like to you what about me so uh and and i put that line in there because it happened and also I spoke to other people people with cancer when I was writing the book, doing research and, and stuff like that. And there was a couple of people who mentioned that their dad had, had made a similar response. I don't know if it's a dad thing, a, a denial thing, and didn't want to mention the word cancer or say words like he's sick or um, and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, it, the book and it is a total description of everybody's journey around me because, um, as you know, it's not just you that's going through it. It's it's everybody, family yeah. and, and stuff. And that's what I loved about it as well is that, you know, actually, you've, for me personally, I would have loved reading the book when I was, and I think to, to be able to understand, you know, the reactions, because I kind of I missed it. I think, you know, I had my, my own kind of weird wee things happen to me during my treatment as well. I kind of missed a lot of people's kind of weird reactions to it. Yeah. So to to have read that, I would have been, oh, that's why, like, yeah. 
like that mate's not came and saw me or do you know what I mean yeah. it's like because it's it is difficult for for those around you and I think like that dad thing yeah like I mean it's almost like this is it's almost like a this ancient paternal thing of <laughs> this is the person I'm meant to protect and I can't protect them from this yeah absolutely you know yeah. and it's and and you kind of get it you know in, in a sense and but the, when I read that when he's like this is the worst thing that happened to me I was I was nodding myself I was like and then I was like what about half and then you say then you write that like, yeah. what about me like, yeah <laughs> yeah um because that's how it felt a lot of the time during the cancer um the, the journey sometimes you were trying to protect everybody around you um and if that even if that meant sitting in your room uh, alone with your own thoughts just so it wasn't making everybody upset that's sort of what you did um and it describes that my mum's journey in there as well i mean she was quite emotional motherly and and, and stuff and my, my my the relationship with with her during the book is i wanted her to look after herself as well and I know it's impossible for a mother to do, you know, she wants to be sat bedside, spoon feeding me, you know, spoonfuls of cow pole. <laughs> that, 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 that's how yeah. she wants her little boy soldier still there, you know. Um, but I didn't need that at that point. Um, yeah. obviously, I, obviously, I did need all that at some points, but but not all the time. So my part of um, of that sort of premise is to look after yourself as well in the support network and... Um, take advantage of like the Macmillan centers or Maggie's or I'm not sure what the ones um, you have in Scotland are, but there's so much support for your support. Yeah. Um, Cause I think that's quite important as well. Yeah. Oh no, definitely isn't. There is the same type of thing, you know, and, um, and you know, you have the Macmillan, you have Maggie's, um, you know, your Cohonus is out there for, for guys and like, uh, I'm willing to speak to kind of family members as yeah. well, you know, and I think it's, it is important that, you know, the people around realise that it is going to affect them yeah. more than, you know, more than they actually think, yeah. you know, because say if somebody gets the flu, they're just, they're sick and it's okay, they've just got the flu. And I know people, you know, end up in hospital with the flu, but relatively, yeah. you know, but when it's cancer, you know, it really has a a it, massive impact on those around you. Yeah. You know, it's scary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, it you can never predict the reactions of, of what people are going to do. Um, and again, my story, so, you know, I was in Brazil when I first got diagnosed and because of the language barrier and the, the sort of healthcare system over there and, you know, the first time I collapsed and had a problem, I went to the athlete's village in the medic clinic that, and, you know, there's a French gymnast sat next to me in a wheelchair. He's broken his leg from a horrific triple somersault, oh, yeah. right? He's in a wheelchair and I was like, oh my God. And there, I'm sat there with like a swole, swollen ball. <laughs> <laughs> you know, is there a gold medal for that? And there, there should be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but they just thought I was like dehydrated. I was like, this is a bad hangover if this is, it, yeah. this is the case. But then when the Olympics finish, the Medi Clinic's gone. You know, all the athletes' village is gone. So I didn't have that opportunity to keep going back, um, which is uh, because I left it so long. Obviously, that's why it got to stage two, which is why the chemotherapy was needed, um, because I went to some other private clinics in Brazil and they were like, you know, it could be, but it's probably not that sort of reaction. And, and I was going to Argentina within a week and I thought I was staying with an Argentinian friend as well, Buenos Aires. So I thought I'll just get it checked out there. Um and that's when I went on the final day. I woke up shivering and shaking just before the Argentina flight. Mm -hmm. I had no more apartment, no more Airbnb because that was my, my um, stay was up as well. 
<laughs> so it was really difficult to to go back and because I got finally told at like 10 o'clock at night by a doctor it was 2 a.m back in the uk yeah. so i had no one to tell either so i'm like sobbing on the streets of rio and then i had this brazilian girlfriend at the time over there um so i was literally living the dream right mm. I, was, I lived just off copacabana beach brazilian girlfriend right me right? <laughs> got no right i've got no right and she was um she was away so i texted her and, and i said like the doctor's just told me i've got a tumor and she went do you want a subway sandwich i'm like sorry i don't think you understand is there a language barrier <laughs> she's like yeah i understood but i'm hungry and i'm like i've just told someone i've got a tumor i think that means cancer and they, all they want to know is, do I want a Subway sandwich? So you'll never know how someone's going to react. No, no. Um, but yeah, I'll never look at Meatball Mariana and say, wait again. No, especially, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's taking the piss out of you, really. You know, it's more balls than you have. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, here's some. <laughs> Sorry. And they're melted with cheese. Yeah, um, yeah Jesus. Mm. But yeah, and then I got home, flew home, and... Um, um, yeah, I told my family as well. And mm. yeah, my mum's first reaction was, do you want a cup of tea? I'm like, you know, someone give me your tears. <laughs> someone give me some dramatics here. Um, so, so yeah, you, you're never, you're never going to know how people are going to react. You know, I told my mates, they just went, oh, bollocks. Mm. Um, one mate just went, um, shall I cancel the badminton court then? <laughs> you know? So yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. no, I still fancy a couple of rallies, you know. Um, but yeah. So is this all right? Yeah, have I, have fine, I not? Yeah. Is it no, still all right? No, all right. you're fine. Because um, I was going to ask, obviously, like being out in Brazil, yeah. you know, a pretty new relationship. I would, I would imagine as well, being out there, yeah. um, and then being hit with this diet, like not a diagnosis yet, but the potential of this, you know, being cancer was like you know ninety nine percent. Yeah, you know that must have been quite a quite an interesting and lonely time even though you had all you, yeah. had, you obviously had your girlfriend and you know there was there was people you could contact but you were the other side of the world yeah. you know like you say you're out in the streets of Rio you know and there's it's probably party atmosphere in there as you oh, yeah. told you got a tumour oh yeah yeah I mean that was disappointing that I was in such a, an amazing place um, obviously and I'd, I'd always dreamed of going to Brazil as well it was, it was literally a dream come true um, and I wanted to travel South America and, and, and I was just free like I went straight from university into a job um, for, for five or six years and it was the first time I was I was unemployed I had no accommodation um, no permanent relationship I had my Brazilian girlfriend but you know she was going to be living in Brazil so I don't know if that long distance would have worked um, so yeah my, my Maslow's hierarchy of needs were, was zero <laughs> I had food and water and that was about it Subway and a cup of tea but but that was about it um, so yeah the, the journey from the Airbnb apartment to back in the UK was yeah the longest journey of my lifetime sitting on a flight it's 11 hours from Brazil sitting on a flight you've got no wi-fi you can't text anyone and um you know there's only so many movies you can watch and then um yeah i just played football manager on my phone for like six <laughs> hours trying to trying to take my mind off of it you know getting beat by barnsley or something <laughs> so um yeah i was sat on my thoughts again sometimes on a flight you can get talking to the person next to you, you know where are you off to you can't exactly go off you know i've got to go home i've got, got, got a tumor in my pants yeah <laughs> um 
so yeah that that four days uh three or four days to get home was was a long process and and the the thing that was more confusing was when the when the brazilian doctor told me he was like you got a nodule on your testicle and it's a tumor and i, I almost went well at least it's, at least it's not cancer like so i didn't know what he meant like, yeah and, and then <clears throat> the actual consultant who first saw me he'd gone home because shift had finished so when i got back to my apartment i actually texted him um or he texted me and i said oh the, the the consultant said i got a nodule but then he said i've got a tumor like what's the difference he said a nodule is a tumor i was like brilliant mm. and then he said yeah you, you need surgery to remove this <laughs> i'm like getting told on whatsapp that i've actually got a tumor so that, again that wasn't a a standard experience i don't think i was almost like it feels a bit unjust here why am i being told this on whatsapp <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean fair play to the guy it was friday night it was 10 30 p.m and i got a you know pretty experienced consultant whatsapping me that's quite special um but yeah getting all the way home and and the letter that they gave me was all in portuguese as well so when i turned up to my gp back at home and i said oh, i've got this letter and it says i've got a tumor he's had to enter it all into google translate <laughs> And I was just like, there were so many different things on the way home. Like <clears throat> when I got to the airport, I thought, do I tell British Airways I've got a tumour and try and get first class or what? <laughs> <laughs> like, and did you? No, no I didn't. I, <laughs> I panicked as I got to the front. I thought, what if they don't let people fly who've got a cancer? Oh, what, of course. What, I what if it might yeah. be like an insurance thing and I've got to actually just stay in Rio? Um, spend more of your travel money you know yeah, at that point <laughs> yeah because I spent all my blimmin' travel money on, on the medical bills over there it cost me about £2,500 in one day um, all these all these <laughs> all these consultants I was having over the two weeks and it got to the last one and, and Dr Daniel who saw me um, in Rio who we stay in touch on Instagram great guy what a legend he's yeah. whatsapped me to tell me I've got tumour now he stays in touch on Instagram what, what a fantastic man Dan yeah. Dr Dan um, <laughs> you but, must have made an impression though that's the thing like, you must, you, no you me. must have made an impression so yeah yeah I mean I don't know how many uh, British people he gets coming in with a, a swollen testicle that he's he's got but he said <laughs> he said you know the ultrasound was £900 and the consultancy was like £500 but if they have to do surgery the following day because it's cancer, it will all be free. So then I'm sat there going, oh, God, I could spend 1,400 quid here or, a bit, or, or have one less ball. <laughs> like, yeah. what a terrible game of would you rather. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. You know, like, uh, would I rather have cancer or yeah. less money? Let's see. Yeah. I've got, I've got a, 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 a dorm booked the following day in Argentina in like a 16-bed travel hostel. And I'm thinking, I could have an extra 14 qu 1,400 quid here, but be led in, in a bunk bed with a load of strangers, like with one less testicle. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, your whole, the whole real um, experience, it was just, when you're reading it, it's like, that's absolutely wild. But, you know, you've done so much, like, in your life already in terms of, like, like where you've travelled, you know, like, you look at, where you've been, you know, you've been Asia, you know, right across Europe, mm. Africa, South America. Having experienced all these different cultures and and um, kind of, did that help have this resilience when you did find out, you know, when you're going through that? Like having that, that life experience, did that help with your resilience when you found out that you had cancer? Um, I'm, I'm not sure about the travelling um 
aspect of it, but I had done a lot of, you know, challenges in a way. Um, you feel strange talking about them sometimes because it feels like bragging sometimes, but it's totally not because I'm not a challenge. I'm not an athlete in any way, um, but I've done four marathons and they're very difficult. And you have to run through the proverbial wall on, on mile 19 of a marathon. It's it's difficult. It's really hard. Um, you know, I cycled to, to Paris in three days. It's very difficult. I was always living on the edge of, of my comfort zone and, and exploring what is outside my comfort zone. I did some stand-up comedy for a while and, and that's very much out of, you know, if you want to test the comfort zone, go and do some stand-up comedy. Bet, yeah. There's a good scene around Glasgow so you could get up on stage one night and talk about your one ball. There's great <laughs> material there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say the travelling as much but, but definitely pushing my comfort zones all the time made me realise of what I can do and achieve and that there are dark moments in there and that there are lonely moments in there and you just have to keep on going. Um, so, yeah, I, I was... I lived it. I didn't go to Dr Google or anything like that. I, I really did just live the experience. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, well, I make it sound like Disneyland, don't I? It's not, not, <laughs> not a fun experience. Um, that is a small world, though. <laughs> but yeah it's it it was it was a life of of challenge that i think got me through it a lot better um and i was quite a social media you know user as well at the time and the reason i probably had so much support and and you should never compare your story with other people's stories everybody's got different stories people are different they're extroverted introverts everybody's different so you you got to manage your own story um but for me i was posting pictures in brazil like i'm in brazil I'm at the olympics here's a gold medalist i'm now on the beach and now I'm on a mountain it was just like great you know you know living for likes I was. Um, I wasn't living for likes, but I was getting likes. Yeah, yeah. And then the following week, it was like, hey, everyone, I know you know, you've been following my journey. I've been at the Olympics. But um, unfortunately, I found a tumour and I've got cancer and I'm having surgery tomorrow. And I put, don't worry, everyone, we got this in a Facebook status. Left it. As soon as I told the world, it was a bit less of a problem. Um, again, that's what I learned from the stand-up comedy thing. And when I was writing comedy, it's if you can make a joke and tell strangers about it, the problem in your head becomes a lot less than what it previously was. Yeah. Um, I had some things going on when I was about 23 years old and and I sat with these thoughts for about 18 months and I ended up doing a comedy writing course. Um, the guy delivering it was like, stand-up comedy will set you free. I was like, wow, that sounds pretty powerful. I'll have a bit of that. Went and told a joke about what was going on in my head and um, and it was no longer a problem and that's the approach that I took with the cancer I'm just going to put it on Facebook tell everyone and and after that status everybody put on there you got this Af Af you got this you got this you got this you've got this like this mm -hmm. but I, I, mine was not um, grammatically correct <laughs> yours is but yeah you got this Af um, and we started selling these wristbands where you got this on it because uh, that, that paid for the medical bills that I had to pay for in Brazil because yeah. I was a bit out of pocket there. I didn't have a job. I didn't know when I was going to get a job either, so I was, I was had no money. Um, but this whole positive mantra of you got this, and I had videos from Anthony Joshua and Anderson Silva and uh, 
Adam Lalana, Dame Kelly Holmes, and, and that was pretty cool as well. Tubes from Soccer AM, Golf Life Legend. And um, yeah, this whole positive mantra was useful. It was just something to park your thoughts with. You have got, there is a thin line sometimes with, with what they call toxic positivity. Um, especially if, if you just want a down day and you want to sit in bed and listen to depressing music, that's also fine. You can do that. You can't do it every day. No. But there are days when you need that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the the whole journey leading up to cancer, I think, put me in quite a good stead for managing it with my mental health. And, you know, sometimes music was the answer. Sometimes you don't sit there with your thoughts and reflect. Sometimes there are bad times to do that, like in the chemo chair. Just whack on a good song, funky beat, and uh, that will get you up again. So, yeah. Yeah. And um, but like throughout the book, obviously you use um, music as a as like your your listen to, um, like um, and your kind of your your chapter descriptions. Um, I, I I'm the same as I love music, man. So like mm. my life has got a soundtrack. Um, was it something that you actively sought, like when when you were sitting, like you say, like having chemo? My my um, concentration levels were awful yeah. like when I was going through chemo I don't know what it was I just couldn't concentrate so I couldn't watch telly but see just being able to put a set of headphones in and, and listen to music and the weird song that followed me really for a while was um, Kiss from a Rose by Seal oh yeah so I, I was listening to that and uh, while I was in the beats and, and every time that I went back for my bloods or my my, my chest x-ray yeah. um, I'd go to the reception to get my next appointment. And without a word did I lie, Seal Kiss by a Rose was on that radio. Every time and it f- <laughs> it followed me around throughout my kind of cancer yeah. my cancer story. But it was but music really got but me. But do you like it. that song now or do you not like that song? No, I still love that song. You, you know, it, the, yeah. like there were some things that um I don't know if this happened to you as well. Like um when I was Going through treatment, my wife and I were watching um, the Kimmy Schmidt comedy on Netflix. Yeah. Um, but then when the season two came out and I had been through, um, and I was at the, out of it and all that, we put it on, and the the opening title screens made me feel anxious, uh. and just the music, and I was like. I I can't watch this. Yeah. So it was weird. I had this um, strange association where I, I didn't like it anymore. Yeah. So, so I've never went back and watched it. Really? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, that's why I asked you, like, you know, d- did you like that song or not? Because it can, cancer can ruin some songs for you as well, can't it? Um, yeah. That for you? It, it's not, it depends on the mood, doesn't it? I think when you, when you, when you sort of have cancer or in remission, sometimes you, cancer's all right and you accept it and sometimes you're just like nope not today i'm blocking you out like for me dog days are over by florence the machine was my my song i listen to it every single day sometimes on repeat i I get in the shower put dog days are over while i'm in the shower and um there's this bit in the middle where it's tap tap like that and that would that would sort of give me life i'd be like yeah come on we're gonna smash it today Love it, and I love it, and I loved it, and I really do love it. And and sometimes if I'm um, having a bad day or bad week, I put that on, and I'm like, right, I, I beat cancer. I can I can do anything today. Come on, I should have listened to it this morning. <laughs> but 
sometimes it will come on shuffle just by by chance and I'm like no see you later like lob the phone out like yeah. you're not today I don't want to think about it um but dog days are over I loved that um like I said I listened to it every single day and he's even through remission like four months past remission every day give me the energy like a like a flower just raising through springtime it was yeah. great um the one that makes me emotional and, and probably get upset is the one that my mum was listening to. So I was out for a day walking once, came back. She doesn't really listen to music religiously at all. Um, but she was listening to You Raise Me Up by Westlife. Right. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> and um, I sort of snuck up to my bedroom at the time. I had to move back in with my mum. I was 29 at the time. But yeah, no job, no, no nothing. So I had to move back in with my mum during the diagnosis as well. And... She was she was belting out Westlife on the on the stereo, um, and I was in my room, and then it came on repeat and repeat, and it was on for like forty five minutes, and I just thought she's trying to find a bit of hope within these lyrics, you know, yeah. she needs to raise me up, um, and so if I hear that song now, that that's the one that gets me actually emotional. Dog days are over. I'm like, come on, we can do this. We can take over the world. Whatever we want to do, let's do it. Um, but the Westlife one, yeah, that, that's ruined for me now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just uh, think of your poor mum. Yeah, I yeah. do. But um, but music, music's great. Music gives you energy. Um, but you do need to sometimes sit with your thoughts and reflect as well. And, and I spoke about walking and, you know, I listened to um, Niall Rogers. I think it was his Desert Island Discs. You know, Niall Rogers from yeah, Chic. Yeah. Everybody dance. And he said he had cancer and afterwards to get over it, he just walked for two years. And then in my remission years, I really felt that. I was like, I know exactly what he's talking about now. I walk and walk and walk. I, I Fortunately, I lived down south um, in the countryside and some amazing walks around there. And... I don't think you should listen to music while you're walking. Walking's a time when you are good to think and reflect and think what's the path you want to go on and jobs, career, family, relationships, stuff like that. Um, so I really see the benefit in walking and, and being with your thoughts at that time. But mm. um, yeah, that that's one of the one of my favourite chapters in the book is is yeah, music is the answer, um, and it really showed me. I don't know about you, how open you were with your journey when you were going through it, but when I opened up about, okay, everyone, I've got cancer, it sort of lowered my barriers, and then everybody else lowered their barriers themselves as well, did they? and they sort of reflected themselves. A lot of people opened up about difficult times that they were going through, if it was like work or a relationship they didn't want to be in or, or a bit of mental health going on and things like that. Did you... Find any of that as well? Yeah, I think um, I've got a really tight group of kind of close mates that, you know, there's, and we can kind of talk about anything. But I think after I was diagnosed and went through treatment, I changed as a person because obviously, you know, like cancer does change as a person, yeah. you know, whether that happens for you on a grand scale or a small. But there's certainly like a, a kind of, a breaking down of I'm I'm a really open person anyway, and I'm yeah. really loving and caring and uh, personally, and I and I love my friends dearly. Um, but I think going through that, it really broke down what little barriers maybe I had, and I think it did have that effect on them. And I I think you know, in time in times where we've sat and we're all together, we do talk a little bit more openly and a little bit more 
Um, you know, it might just be getting an older thing, but you do yeah. have actual conversations now where you do discuss how something made you feel. And yeah, yeah no, definitely that happened yeah. for me as well. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, and and men, obviously, you know, not all men, but there is a you know the stigma and everything about talking and opening up and and stuff. And the thing I was most surprised about when doing the sort of research for the book is how many men don't tell anyone. And I had a friend who said her dad got to the point of chemotherapy before telling his wife and the kids. And wow. I'm like. You've sat on that for weeks, like, but they didn't, you know, the person didn't want to upset the family. He's the man of the house, stiff upper lip, and all that mm. sort of thing. Um, but opening up the discussion, and um, again, that's what I wanted the, the book to be about. Is I want, in a way, some men to read the book, and if they still can't feel that energy to to talk about it, that there will be a story within it that they can go to their parents or their partner or something go you want to know how i really really feel <laughs> read that yeah you know because yeah. you're acting like that and this is how i feel um that's how i want it to become if it's difficult and like you said i think it does open up the discussions for people um writing the book for myself opened up a discussion with with my dad and my mum and, and my sister and even my friends within the book as well of do you remember this bit? And they'll go, yeah, I remember that. And I went, you know, when you said that, this is how it made me feel. And they were like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Or, yeah. or, or they, or the, the other way around. Um, I think in a way it's, it's brought a lot of closure to the journey in a way. Mm -hmm. um, again, talking or, or sitting with your feelings. Sometimes you realize that the problem might just be in your head. Once it's spoken or, or written, it's, it sort of vanishes in a way. Um, yeah. Yeah. Someone described it as when I got the all clear, it was like you went through the whole journey holding your breath. Yeah. Yeah. And then when, when you finally get the all clear, because that's the only time that I, I don't want to ruin the end of the book, but the, the only time that I get emotional is when I get the all clear. Mm -hmm. It was like, you've been holding your breath for everyone. You're underwater. And then right at that very end, you come up and gasp. I think I'm back. Yeah, I'm not drowning anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you had a similar feeling when you when you got the old clear. What was it? Yeah, I mean, it was it was very similar in that respect as well. I think for me, I went through it with this humour shield, uh, and 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 tried to kind of plod my way through it and be again. You know, you've I've got you know my wife, my son. Um, and it was a funny time so you know you're trying to be strong for yeah. everybody even though you're going through something that's making you weak you know and I found that after all that had happened that was when the enormity of what I went through <laughs> hit so when I got like the all clear and when I got um, told that yeah I that's you you're cancer free we'll just do the but we'll keep doing the checkups it was at that point it was almost like all the emotion that I should have been feeling during my cancer journey hit me, yeah, you yeah. know, and I was much the same, you know, it was like I got really emotional, I got quite labile, you know, I was always kind of like on the brink of crying most days, yeah. you know, like a, an advert could come on the telly and I'd burst into tears. I mean, 
I would do that for most things anyway, but it was just it was just a little bit more because I'm a big yeah. softy. Well, you know, watching Susan Boyle, Britain's Got Talent, first audition, I'm bawling my eyes oh, out. God, Susan. <laughs> oh God, yeah, I remember it well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but when you when you when you got the all clear, I don't know if you felt the same, but because I know about athletes and and what they go through and they reach the Olympics and. And there's a thing called like paradise syndrome where you finally get to where you want to be and um, you complete your task. Or um, what athlete was I seeing the other day? He was 24 years old, reached the pinnacle of their career, and then they're like, what now? And and that's how I felt the day after I got the all clear. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, what do I do now? Yeah. Like, I've, all right, I'll beat it. I'm in remission. Does life just go back to normal? You've still got a bold head. So you mm-hmm. still look like a cancer victim, which takes ages to grow back as well, by the way. Yeah. Um, yours is still growing back, is it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's kind of grown back to me. <laughs> Mine too. I cannot talk. Oh, dear. It's hat hair. Um, but yeah, I was, I was in New York when it started growing back. And um, I was in this bar. It was like a, sl- a scene from Love Actually. And... Don't know why she started feeling my hair, but th- there was this this woman that started feeling my hair, and it grew back like baby hair. Did mm-hmm. yours? Yeah, yeah. The softest uh, hair ever. Yeah. And she's like, "Oh my god, my my friend's gonna feel your hair, <laughs> girls, come over here." And then I had all these like American women in New York feeling my hair. They yeah. were going, "Oh my god, what conditioner do you use? I need to buy this conditioner." I was like, "You don't want this conditioner." <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it's called BIP. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called chemotherapy. Yeah. Uh, they're like, "Oh god, all right, keep it." light <laughs> yeah the, the remission stuff is is hard it's difficult it's i don't think anyone realizes how difficult remission is mm. well, that should be the slogan remission and you thought cancer was difficult um it is it is tough because there's so many expectations in your head like you just want to get back on with your, with your life again um yeah you know the hair is just one one small part of it that's a, a short term part of it but um, the side effects, you know, the peripheral neuropathy. Did you get that? The num- yeah, numbness yeah. in your hands, um, which I did not help in one of the chapters in my book. You know, I went go karting on the last day. What was I thinking? <laughs> go go karting, like, ah, but like numb hands. And like, you can't feel the steering wheel. Oh my God, it was awful. And it sent pins and needles all the way up my arms. I was like, okay, now I'm having a heart attack. Brilliant. Um, that was just such a shocking decision. Going, I went skiing. I went go-karting in my week nine of chemotherapy. Mm. Um, do not do that. <laughs> went to went to an Anthony Joshua boxing match, 15,000 people around. It just like, just watch it on home. Just watch it at home. Yeah. Um, but the peripheral neuropathy, that that happens. I've not got a bottle here, but I don't know if you found, like, you know, trying to get the shampoo lid open. I just couldn't do it. I was in the shower, like, yeah, trying to yeah. flick it off the side. And, and no one sort of sees that. That lasts for months. Um, My wife always put it akin, like, because, you know, I might be wee, but I've, I've got a bit of strength about me. <laughs> so if I was trying to open something and I'd give it to my wife to open, she always kind of described it like a Superman after he comes out of the crystal box oh, and yeah. he's lost all these powers. Yeah, Like, yeah, she was yeah. like, oh, God. And like, because, like you're saying, you just you can't find the traction and the strength to, yeah. to kind of open a bottle, you know? Yeah. It was horrible. <clears throat> It was horrible. Um, 
So you've got the physical stuff, which is, which is you know, the hair, the peripheral neuropathy and numbness in your hands, um, the, the tinnitus. Did you get t- tinnitus? Yeah, I had tinnitus a little bit anyway, but it's it's got a lot worse since yeah. chemo and it's it's pretty bad at times. Yeah. Like, uh, oh, my God, my, mine was awful. I've had to have hearing aids. Um, I've not got them in today, but I had to get hearing aids to, to sort of try and manage that. Although fun, saying that, last night I was in bed in, in Glasgow, so I flew up here yesterday from uh, from Bristol. And I got in bed and I didn't have tinnitus for the first time in like two or three years. And I went, I've got to move to Scotland. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it must be something in the water. Water, sorry. Um, but yeah, it was, it, last night I was just like, it led in bed smiling thinking, I, can, I can't hear anything. Yeah. Um, because that is, it's just horrible for like two or three years now, constant ringing in my ears. Mm-hmm. Um, had the hearing loss, which, which wasn't great. And then... And then you've got the the psychological barriers to get through and the mental barriers. Yeah. You know, you 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 just want to be old af, you know, the the old person that you were, but you have to accept that it's going to be a new you. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is a different ride, different emotional journey in itself, isn't it? Yeah, and that's what I mean. Like it, it definitely changes you as a yeah. person. You know, um, you do want to go back to being you. Yeah. But you're, you're not because you've had this impactful of life event that's changed not only you but the people around you. Yeah. And then it's also physically changed you as well. Yeah. You know, and I know earlier when we talked about um, one of our kind of previous guests and that kind of not feeling like a, a man, and that's not something that, that you felt as such, but it it must be for a lot of, a lot of guys out there, you know, because it is a young man's disease, you know, we yeah. were both you know, 29.30 when we, we got that, what a time to to get cancer, yeah. and especially your testicles. I mean, and losing one in the, you know, the kind of prime years of your life yeah. is, is um, the psychological impact's massive. Yeah, I've only, I was never, I was never bitter about that until recently. And I'm still not totally bitter about it. But when I was 29, going through it, mm. I was just like, all right, 29 let's get this let's get this out of the way I've been dealt this hand we're going to do it and it was only recently now now I'm 36 I sort of look back and go oh man I was at a physical peak potentially I mean the photos might not look that way but 29 is <laughs> a great year isn't it and that, yeah. that was sort of taken away from me so that that's annoying um, I, I made up for my travelling um, three years after after I got into remission I, I travelled a lot and I'm super happy that I managed to do that still. Um, but yeah, t- 29, l- losing your testicle, um, nice new scar. I- I've not had the prosthetic or anything put in or, or thought about that. I- I'm totally fine with one ball down there, to be honest. Um, if anything, it's more comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I- I'm the same. I never got it. And we've talked about it before. It's like sitting on a bike so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 These yeah. jeans, yeah, they're fine. Yeah. Comfortable. If you go to a tailor and they ask, how do you dress? It's like, well, in the middle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, the, the prote- prosthetics, that, that that's an interesting one. Um, but, but no, didn't do that because... Again, in the book, at the start of the book, my dad, you know, he owns a strip club, um, a gentleman's lap dancing club is, is its official name. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's seen plenty of silicone in his time. And then, <laughs> and then he was at an appointment with me, um, with a doctor asking if his son wants a silicone testicle. <laughs> it's like, what is going on? Um, but yeah, 
the the manly thing. The uh, there's also you know the research in there about the testosterone levels and and stuff like that. But um, I've still yet to go down the fertility route as well. I know you've had your successes with with that. Yeah, you? yeah, yeah. Um, did you bank sperm as well before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We did. Yeah, did you? Yeah, yeah. Great experience. Uh, oh, it's a wild experience. Yeah, <laughs> but you you were married at the time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you. Did she go with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even though I mean, we were like, I had my wife with me. The co- the questions that you get asked after, you know, like <laughs> when you're filling out the form, yeah. was still a big conversation for us to have. You know, right. if you die, yeah, you yeah. know, do you want me? You know, that was still a massive, um, yeah. a massive thing. You know, did you? So, th- so, so the question is, if you die, someone, if you you when you die, you can put someone's name on your form so that they can still use your sperm when you've passed yeah right so you obviously put your wife's name right? yeah, yeah. You know, the, the nurse i was with she was like you can't just put rihanna <laughs> and i'm like why not i'm gonna put rihanna then like, don't tell me i can't do something yeah um but yeah because mm. obviously i was with um the brazilian girl at the time sort of loosely uh because i was leaving brazil anyway so i don't know what was going to happen to that relationship at the time but um i didn't have a, a permanent girlfriend so yeah my dad took me to this fertility clinic which right. i was just like what, what you know i can still drive i can drive myself he's like no i'll take you you know he sat, sat in the waiting room for me yeah and i'm just you know in the fertility clinic like what after the experience i'm like what's an acceptable amount of time to to be in this room for you know <laughs> yeah do you quickly you know <clears throat> bash it out in three minutes and go I'm done three minutes Jesus <laughs> yeah twice my goodness man <laughs> um, or, or do you sort of like because you're given one hour aren't you yeah, yeah you know, like, she points at the wall the, the nurse points at the wall and goes you've got one hour like alright don't put me on a timer you're putting even more pressure on me you know, the clock it's just a massive white clock ticking on the wall like dunk 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 um, yeah, that that was a wild experience in there. So yeah, just um, I think I sort of played football manager on my phone in there as well for about thirty minutes, just right. to, just to make sure I wasn't. Again, what is what is the reasonable amount of time to spend in there? Yeah, oh, um, I tried to make it as quick as I could. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, and I've spoken about this before because the nursing station was right next door to the room they put me in. Yeah, so all I could hear was nurses talking about their annual leave oh, and the, the problems on the shift, and you know what I mean. And then you're like, oh, how yeah. the, how's this yeah. going to work? Yeah. You know, if I can hear them, I mean. <laughs> It's not exactly a room you want to sp- spend too much time in. It's not exactly a r- romantic room, is it? It doesn't no. scream, you know, romance. It's like a blue leather couch with blue tissue paper rolled on the thing. Yeah. It's like one of those medical bins with like um, the kick pedal at the bottom to flip the lid open. Yeah, like, yeah. thank God that's there. I don't have to touch this bin lid or anything else in this <laughs> room that someone might have just touched whilst, you know, yeah. having their own thing in their hand. There was one of those, do you remember the old fashioned <laughs> style, like cardboard boxes that people would keep fighting? in that had yeah. the button on the front yeah. there was one of them in my room that was just filled with porn yeah, yeah. and I was like yeah I'm not going to touch that <laughs> oh it's so disgusting um, yeah yeah there's a big mirror on the wall I just thought what who's who's looking at themselves <laughs> Patrick Bateman yeah. style or, you know? yeah yeah or like you know you finish the business and just check you haven't done like a Cameron Diaz and there's something about Mary you know <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that that was a wild experience as well. But that's something I've got to uh, uh, start exploring as well, which 
maybe one day, um, you know, <laughs> me and Rihanna. <laughs> you know, you never know. When she finally comes around and, yeah. uh, and finds out that I've put her name on the on the form <laughs> at the fertility clinic. She'll come running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, that, that was... That was an experience that, yeah, people, people don't people don't understand at the start of a cancer diagnosis. You just think, cancer diagnosis, right, chemo, that sounds bad. You're going to lose your hair, that sounds also bad. And then you sort of, some people survive and some people don't survive. Like yeah. That's sort of what people package up as a cancer diagnosis in a way, but it's so much more, isn't yeah. it? Um, oh, very much so. And it's imagine like phoning up, like, you know, when you have to go to your fertility kind of clinic and... You know, imagine cancelling that appointment and saying, you know, hello, sorry, I can't come. Oh, no. Really? <laughs> oh, classic. Get down that comedy centre. Come on. You know, uh, you know uh, no, you don't know, understand what I mean. <laughs> we can help you with that, son. No, no, no. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it is a, it's a strange and wonderful ex experience at times, and it's devastatingly heartbreaking in others. Um I know, like, kind of, kind of, the top of the podcast, you'd said that you didn't want to talk about cancer, and mm. you were kind of done with it. Didn't want to define you, you know. And but now you've kind of, you've, you've wrote this book, and you do, you do such an amazing job of testing the cancer awareness. Was there a shift that you found that caused that? Was there something that made you go, actually, I want to talk about this more, and and I'm, and I feel okay talking about it. Um. I, 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 the shift was not necessarily I want to do testicular cancer awareness. I love writing, I love storytelling, and I think it's quite a good story to tell. I'm good in inverted commas. Um, you know, that is, is the path that I'm on at the moment, and I do like raising awareness and, and I'm going into schools and, and things like that. And, um, and doing a talk at a festival soon and, and I did some public speaking so I always like doing the public speaking um, but I think it's the, the message that I have is 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 the storytelling aspect of it um, maybe one day I don't just want to have my eulogy read and say that he wrote a testicular cancer book yeah I want them to say he was an amazing storyteller mm. and he did some challenges and did some adventures and he inspired people. Um, that That's the route I'm, I want to eventually go down. I, maybe that's me. <clears throat> maybe that's me still living in denial or, or something along those lines where I don't just want it to, I don't want to become a cancer man. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want to be wearing a cape with a big C on the back <laughs> and <laughs> to the rescue. Now, are you a hero or a villain though? That's the thing if you're a cancer <laughs> yeah. man. Yeah. Uh, oh, the, the protagonist, definitely. <laughs> the, the, the big evil testicle, Jose, is is the antagonist <laughs> um, trying to bring you down. He's kryptonite. Um, but no, I, I enjoy storytelling and I like people connecting with words and I like making people realize that they can push their comfort zones even more. So, so cancer is part of that. Um, and it, and it is already helping and supporting men and writing the book as, as I thought, oh, I, I didn't know what to expect. My first, first book didn't know what to expect. Uh, I had some really nice reviews and I've had 
reviews from people that have had family members go through it and stuff like that. But the really impactful ones are, you know, I had one recently that said, I was diagnosed with, with testicular cancer three weeks ago. Someone bought me your book and they bought the book for themselves and I've read it and I just, I was scared out of my mind. I've read your book and now I know I can smash this and I just wanted to send you a message. And I was like, this is a complete stranger. Mm. He said, sorry about the long message from a complete stranger. And I was like, Jesus, this is impacting people mm. more than I thought. Yeah. Um, so that that's a part which I'm really proud of at the moment is <clears throat> is impacting those people. You know, if it can help one person, and it's already helped one person, so it's it's achieved its mission in a way. But I want it to help thousands of people mm. and support thousands of people. And again, that's not just the person in the cancer chair, the chemo chair, or, or the bed. There's everybody around them, the mums, the sisters, everything that 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 can't get into, especially a man's mind, especially a young man's mind. Um. So that that's the message behind it. Um, I've had the I've had specialists read it. Um, I was contacted on Twitter this week by someone who said, "I've just got a copy of your book from Doctor Wheata." Doctor Wheata was my consultant in Southampton. Right. Said so I went into his office and he had copies of your book on his desk. I was oh, like, really? "No way!" It was amazing. <laughs> awesome. Um, so I was really proud of that, and, and loads of things keep coming from it that I was not expecting. I was not expecting to be in Glasgow talking to you, to be honest. But yeah. here we are. Here we are. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see how far the book keeps going. Um, I really do believe in the message behind it. I believe in the power of it. I believe in 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 the arcs of the characters in there, the the humour, um, and you know the the dream and the big goal is is to adapt it into a screen. Um, and get it on TV, Netflix, something like that. That is mm. the final destination, the message that I would love to get to. I know it might take years, um, but I've written it so that it can be adapted straight into a script and stuff mm. like that. And I think that would great be great on TV. Yeah, no, I think so as well. I think, um, you know, like I say, like th um, from reading it and the, the kind of that first person narrative, it's like, yeah. I, I like that because like if I'm writing anything, I kind of do the same thing. Like I, I, I write something like I'm talking to somebody. Yeah. And I think when you have something that is adapted into a screenplay or into like a teleplay, yeah. it's always going to work better when it is that because yeah. you can describe exactly the emotions you're feeling. Um, and I had read bits and pieces of the, this is going to hurt. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then ben, is it Ben Wishaw went on and played the character. And yeah. it's like that type of thing would, it was nailed. And yeah, I mean, your story and yeah. just your life in general but like even around your story yeah. um it's certainly something that's worth exploring in that so yeah 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 a lot of people have have compared it to this is going to hurt from mm. the, the sort of patient's perspective because obviously this is going to hurt is adam k and he's the junior doctor um and he writes about all the experiences in the hospital and and a lot of people have said it's a similar vibe as as this is going to hurt i actually read it after the book came out um, I can totally see some of the similarities. His is more diary entry, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. But really, really funny stories, amazing stories. Um, and yeah, there are there. Are, I mean, there are two similarities in there with with this is going to hurt, and it's the part where I had the operation, and he writes left on my leg <laughs> yeah, in yeah. big black marker pen. Um, did Did you have that as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh... And you're just thinking, what is going on? <laughs> like so. Just before your operation, when you lose a testicle, when they don't obviously um, take your testicle from 
your scrotum, they they cut you up by the waistband, don't they, and, and pull it up like some sort of magic trick, handkerchief, yeah. you know, <laughs> thingy, um, and cut you at the spermatic cord. And um, I thought it was more of a G chord, but hey. <laughs> the, the cordless ball. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, the, the doctor comes up to you <laughs> and he says, uh, which ball was it again? And I'm like, left. It's the <laughs> left one. Oh, yeah, just checking. He writes massive letters on your, le on your leg, left, and an arrow pointing yeah. towards your ball. And you're like, how bad are you that you have to do that? <laughs> yeah. Like, what have you done before? Yeah. What mistakes have been made? <laughs> yeah. Where somebody's had the wrong testicle removed. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that, was, yeah. that was pretty daunting. You're just like, what are you doing? Yeah. And then I looked at it for a second. I thought... Maybe I'll get that tattooed on my leg after this as some sort of a <laughs> reminder to me, you know, left with an arrow point yeah. into my nut. Oh, I nearly done a spit take there, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> but, but Adam mm. K, yeah, he talks about um, a similar thing. I, th I think the reason the Mark Pen is a procedure of surgery now, in, in his book, This Is Going to Hurt, he describes it as so um, someone had actually removed the wrong kidney from mm. someone. Um, and then they unfortunately died as well. But yeah. that's why that got introduced into the UK of, of, yeah. of that bizarre thing that happens. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's all bizarre as well. I mean, that five minutes before that happened as well when the, the consultant told me that I was pregnant. Yeah. But, um, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm about to go in for an operation to lose my testicle. 29, don't know what's going on. My mum, my dad and my sister have come <laughs> for the appointment. Don't know why. You know, my mum and dad hadn't seen each other for about 10 years. Family reunion, <laughs> you know, <laughs> over an orchidectomy. Yep. <laughs> um, my mum was in there and then, and then yeah, the doctor's like, yeah, got your results, you're pregnant. I'm like, all right. <laughs> not, not the time for jokes, what's going on? You know, if you do, do a pregnancy test, it would come up as you were pregnant. I'm like, I have no clue what you're talking about. Just yeah. be clear. He's like... You know, you're overproducing the AFP hormone, HCG hormone, which is what the women produce when they're, you know, um, on the way to making a baby. And, and yeah, if you pee on a pregnancy stick, then it will come up, it will possibly come up that you're pregnant. Which also, I don't know if you've seen that story about some guy on Instagram did it for a joke. Yes, yeah. Uh, that must that. have been horrible. Like, yeah, yeah. He had, a, he had his girlfriend's pregnancy sticks and he thought, I'm just going to urinate on this for a laugh. Don't know why. <laughs> I was gone through his head to do yeah. that. Oh, so you, you're, you're pregnancy. How about I do it? And it comes up pregnant, puts it on Instagram. Hey, everyone, I just peed on this stick and says I'm pregnant. All the comments are like, you've got testicular cancer. Yeah, like, go to the hospital now. <laughs> oh, God, that must have been a horrible way to, oh. to, to find out. A great story, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got, got some likes. Yeah. <laughs> he went viral. Um, he was virulous. But, yeah, what is the worst way to find out? I mean, I've I've heard some some horror stories as well from other people like in the cancer community and stuff. And um, one guy, he, he sort of fell from a great height and landed on something. And, oh, my God, that was horrific. Yeah. Um, but there's also a chapter in there about finding out from a dog and you know these dogs that smell cancer. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's yeah. a bit bizarre as well, isn't it? I know having a dog sniff your crotch. Oh, they can smell my dog. No, no. 
I was like, imagine, imagine finding out that way. Like, oh, he seems to be uh, sniffing around your prostate quite a lot today. <laughs> yeah. But look how cute he is. You can, you know, stroke him. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> and he can also pet the dog. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> See, maybe right. Maybe we should go to the stand yeah, and do something. Yeah, let's get it. Let's get it. We should do a whole show. Just invite loads of people that have had testicular cancer. To yeah, yeah. Telling funny stories. Um, but yeah, there's there's certainly different ways to to find out and and stuff, <clears throat> and that's again the 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 finding out you got the all clear as well. Um, I don't know if did you have the razzmatazz and emotion and drama and stuff or no? It was just uh, a case of like um, went to the hospital and yep, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no cancer cells detected. Go home. Okay. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, come on, give it. me something else. Yeah. Like, <laughs> This like do a presentation or something. <laughs> I, I walked in, yeah, Doctor Wheat. I've, I don't know, uh, hopefully not too much of a disservice in the book, but he 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 just went, yeah, that's it then. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, like get on your knees and start high fiving me or something like. <laughs> yeah. Start celebrating. Come Play on, some music. I want some David Brent action <laughs> on the go. You <laughs> <Yeah>. know. <laughs> um, but he was just like, yeah, that's it. And I'm like, I don't say that's it. Say you've done it. Yeah. Um, and that, but you know. Five minutes later, he could have another appointment where someone walks in and he's got to deliver bad news and yeah. say, you've still got it or, or, or something's been worse. So it must be a, such a, you know, you keep your emotions very separate in that job and that, that line of work. So <clears throat> that's what some people struggle with the the the, the doctor relationship as well, consultant relationship. And the, and the nurses, that you know, nurses, not all nurses, but very friendly, <clears throat> family-like. It's just, it's brilliant. Nurses are mm. amazing. They they carry all that with, with you. And then sometimes when the doctors aren't giving you everything, you just feel like they're holding back something. Yeah. Um, and I know that plays on a lot of people's minds as well, like through throughout. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Aye. Awesome. Um, so just to kind of round up as such mm. um you got anything that you know because my hope for this podcast is is similar to to that of your book you know it's for guys to discover but not just the guys who are going through it but the family members to listen to it because yeah. much like um and people who listen to this weekend week out will get bored of me saying this but yeah. if my wife and i had found you know, stories like ours online, or, or if I had your book when I was going through my treatment, it would have made me feel a lot better and probably would have made mm. those around me feel better if I could say, read this. Mm. You know, this is kind of what I'm thinking and going through. Yeah. You know, I know you say it all in the book, but is there anything you would say to those going through it, about to go through it, and their families um, about, you know, that kind of cancer journey? Of um... Oh, the, the, I think the the hardest part, obviously, apart from the 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 chemo and the making you feel sick and and things like that, but you you do go on a survival mode when you're in hospital and and you know your appointments, you're about to get plugged in. You you can sort of handle that. The difficult parts are the things that you don't expect to come with cancer, and that is, you know, almost learning the art of patience. It's so difficult to be patient because you think you might be dying sometimes, but you're waiting for hospital appointments, you're waiting for more blood tests, you're waiting, waiting for chemotherapy schedules, and you just have to learn your best ways to become patient. Um, and, th and that also includes 
post-cancer too. So again, it's that being patient of what, what getting your life back. You know, it doesn't just get back to life at the all clear. You're not just free to carry on with the rest of your life. You've done a little short sentence and you're back out. Um, you, you really have to be patient, self-reflection, sit with your thoughts. And it might not be a happy place sometimes, but you have to go on to some sort of self-discovery. And if you can't do that, you can also, like in the book, go to meditation classes. And again, this might be something that men don't think about doing or, you know, I'm not going to sit there and think about nothing. <laughs> That's not my vibe. But it is beneficial. Um, and I think every every chapter in the book has got, it's 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 a narrative story, but everything, every chapter is almost a standalone chapter in terms of what's going to happen with you on the journey. There's a f food chapter, there's a headspace chapter, keeping fit, um, and all things like that. So if all else fails, um, buy some Lego, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> build Lego, yep, yep. Uh, or get a, a Panini sticker album, <laughs> start collecting foot. It's really strange how you, you become really nostalgic mm -hmm. when your health goes and you want to do things that you did when you were, when you were a child and you really enjoyed, yeah. you know, all the, all the work worries and stresses and things that you really become worried about in life. They almost disappear and you're just like, I want to do a puzzle. Yeah. And, yeah. and they're just great because with a Lego or, or puzzle, you all of a sudden don't think about, oh my God, how's someone going to react if I lose my hair? How's someone going to react if I have to tell them that I can't come out today? All you're thinking about is where does this little piece go? <laughs> that's where all your thoughts go and are consumed by yeah um, as you're going back through every page of the thing going <laughs> it's meant to be oh no it's five pages back I've got to take all this apart yeah yeah you're not hanging about <laughs> yeah yeah you get get some hobbies um, and surround yourself with with as good as people that you can surround yourself and you know it's, it's, it's a very difficult journey but it's the difficult journey with the things that you don't expect you know Chemo's difficult. Being sick is difficult. Anti-sickness drugs are difficult. But sitting on your own with your own thoughts, oh, it can be a lonely place sometimes, yeah. can't it? Uh, but you've got to start flipping it into the positives. Um, and if, yeah, write down stuff, journal. You never have to share it with anyone. But once it's on a piece of paper, it's not in your head as much. Write it down. Turn it into some comedy. Put some jokes in there um, and journal it because in years to come when you've, when you've beat it and you think you're having a bad day, you can always look back at that day and it can always be worse. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Um, uh, so this is your kind of time as well, you know, like plug the book, you know, give, me, give people your socials if you want to as well. And, you know. Plug the book, yeah. So it's called Tumorous Hesticles by Af Marseille. It's available on Amazon, on paperback and Kindle. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been getting some great reviews. If you don't think it's for you just yet or you want to know more, have a look at the reviews, what people are saying so far. Um, and yeah, my socials across all social media platforms are at Af Marseille, which is A-F, Af. 
<laughs> and Marseille, M-A-R-S-E-H. Like the French town, but can spelt completely differently. Right. Thank you so much, mate. Thank you <laughs> no, for coming on. Been a pleasure. Honestly. Thanks for inviting yeah. me. Um, really enjoyed it. What a setup as well, by the way. Yeah, lovely. Yeah. Honestly, no, cheers, mate. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs>